Hello and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time, hosted by Rick Palmer. In the late 1950s, two high school friends, Greg Hill and Kerry Thornley, would regularly meet at their local bowling alley in East Whittier, California, to hang out and talk long into the night about the issues of the day and the limits of the world that they lived in, one that they felt was based all too willingly on order and control. What if there was a different way of engaging with the world, something more chaotic, unpredictable and fun? These conversations, and an affection for a certain Greek goddess, led them to create the joke religion or religious joke, depending on your perspective, called Discordianism, which included a text called the Principia Discordia. Its creation would see Greg and Kerry become entangled with Lee Harvey Oswald and the aftermath of the JFK assassination, confuse the authorities with culture jamming, and play a pivotal role in influencing conspiracy theory culture as we know it today. My guest is Matt Hopewell, who is an aficionado of Discordianism and its prodigiously strange history. This is probably as unusual a sphere as we've explored so far. One last thing, there is some salty language in this episode, so please be aware of that. Thank you. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Rick. Oh, you're very welcome. So we're talking about discordianism. To kick off, just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you came to be interested in this fascinating subject. Okay. Well, uh, I'm I'm what what I refer to as an amateur researcher uh, in all kinds of things weird. I have a I have a tendency to like weird movies, uh, surrealism, and all the fourteen stuff. So for years, mm-hmm. I'd always read really strange literature whenever I could get my hands on it. Mm-hmm. And um, Discordianism is something that's always just been kind of there in the background, and I think. I was probably at heart a Discordian long before I ever discovered what that was. Um, I remember finding a strange yellow book in a coffee shop where I worked years ago called Principia Discordia or How I Found the Goddess and What I Did to Her When I Found Her. (laughs) And uh, the title kind of scared me. The the secondary title kind of scared me off of it. And um, kind of learning it, you know, hearing about it for years and its association with chaos, I kind of immediately thought of chaos magic, which also kind of um, made me avoid it a bit, I guess. But uh, eventually I came around and uh, the goddess Eris has a way of working her way into your life, whether you want her to or not. So, <laughs> so for those few, fortunate few of us who possess the requisite intellect, the sense of humor, and the uh, slightly anti-authoritarian or anarchistic attitude towards things, it's a perfect fit. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. Um, so, so when you were reading uh, Principia Discordia, did that, uh, did that give you much insight to the, to the people that were behind it? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, I think I came into it by way of the fact that uh, Adam Gorightly is an, an author and researcher who's really done the yeoman's work of, of collating all the history behind Discordianism mm-hmm. and with his website, Historia Discordia, and the book of the same name. Um, but it, when, when around the time that came out, there were a lot of articles popping up on various websites that I would read just for the conspiratorial stuff and the uh the ufo stuff and i'd come across things like uh robert anton wilson and the founders of discordianism being behind a lot of um something that we're going to talk about in a little while i didn't know if you wanted to do a uh language disclaimer since we're going to be talking about operation yeah Mindfuck. yeah I'll, don't worry <laughs> there it is <laughs> i'll um i'll put that in before I, I i do i'll put that in the intro for the episode don't worry so Go, go for right, for right. It. I don't want to. Uh, I try not to offend people if yeah, I can. Me too, but but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think Operation Mindfuck was really a gateway for me because <clears throat> I, you know, growing up in the in the '90s with the X Files being there, and uh, I think uh, everybody's older stoner cousin had a copy of um, 
uh, behold a white horse on the shelf somewhere. So there was always that paranoia in the 90s about the Illuminati, you know, and uh, the New World Order and all that stuff that would just kind of hang over things. Mm. And to find an article around the time Historia Discordia came out um, talking about these guys that were basically making a big joke of the whole thing um, made me think that, made me wonder, and I still wonder to this day, how much of the conspiratorial literature out there and the ideas about especially anything with the word Illuminati in it is is, uh, somehow derived from one massive prank by a couple of hippie weirdos in the U.S. in the 60s and 70s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how um, some ideas can kind of form a life of themselves that their, their creators maybe didn't quite intend. Yeah, and there's certainly a lot of that supported by the 14 literature that I was already interested in. And it's been mm-hmm. a major fascination of mine, the overlap between um, fictional reality and reality reality or the consensus reality, you know, yeah, And uh, it's something that I've heard come up on your podcast a couple of times now, which makes me really happy. But it's mm. it's the malleability of reality, really. The, the, yeah. ma- the reality can be shaped by a few ideas. And if you tinker with it, and especially if you're intentionally trying to blow people's minds or, <laughs> or uh, yeah. you know, exaggerate things one way or another, uh, they do take a life of their own. And it, for all intents and purposes, becomes a reality of a kind. Hmm. So let's start at the beginning. So Discordium is sort of, the idea comes from two people, uh, Greg Hill and Kerry Thornley. Right. Uh, er, Yeah, originally. As I understand it, they were still in high school when they came up with the idea. So, you know, so we're going back to the 50s. Hmm. And um, yeah, it seemed to take quite a long long stroll before it... uh, it got known as as a religion or as a joke, however you want to view it. Because hmm. uh, I watched um, a, a video on YouTube where Adam Garrightly was talking about these two guys, and he was saying that they sort of they were two kids who'd hang out at a bowling alley, and they would just have interesting conversations when they went there, and 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 that one of those ideas was what would go on to form this idea of discordianism it's uh, and when you look on his website as well in mean, these there's a picture of them as like as those high school kids and it's 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 perhaps <laughs> it's perhaps not what you might expect for, for something like this it's um it's, it's really interesting well you know they were definitely pretty bright guys i think to come up with it in the first place mm-hmm. but it's uh you can the sense of humor was there right from the get-go i mean you don't have too many religions that have their start in a bowling alley so <laughs> Yeah. Let alone having a um, anthropomorphic chimp deliver a sacred holy symbol and deliver the truth of uh, <laughs> you know the goddess Eris, <laughs> the the goddess of discord in Greek mythology, you know. So um, so yeah, I mean that's that's the origin in a nutshell. Is just a couple of guys talking about about the nature of chaos and order in the world um in a bowling alley but the mythology of it goes gets a bit grander than that yeah because it taps into a goddess called eris right uh, the goddess of the greek goddess of discord right (laughs) oh yeah um yeah eris from the greek and the roman equivalent would be discordia so typically the the discordian Mm. greeting would be hail eris and the callback is all hail discordia right but um yeah in greek mythology you know in some cases she's credited with having started the trojan war Hmm. um it's a it's an event known in the lore as the original snub okay which is (laughs) where, where there was this big wedding right and uh zeus invited everybody except eris because at a wedding, the last thing you'd want is discord and confusion and chaos. Fair enough. But then she rolls the uh, the apple into the room, the golden apple with, that says Kalisti, uh, or to the prettiest one. And thus begins the fight between Athena and Hera and um, Aphrodite, which you know snowballs into the events that, that start the Trojan War. <laughs> mm. and, uh, and, and yeah, so... So Eris can go either way, 
with these things. It just causes a bit of destruction and chaos. Uh, how literally your your uh, worship or appreciation for Eris is is really up to the participant, though. So it's not. Um, I mean, I I don't know if we need to take a step back because I don't know how familiar any of your listeners would be with Discordianism in general. But <laughs> I think by now they're starting to get an idea, you know. Yeah, I mean, we can we can go with the you know the. The, the basics and start from there. I think it's a good place. <laughs> yeah, it's, anyway. yeah. It's a bit of a nebulous topic if you're just yeah. approaching it from the outside. And that's, <laughs> that's kind of what I meant by, you know, Eris having a way of sneaking into your life. Cause uh, from the outset, you know, I found this yellow book with, with a optical illusion on the cover that mm. mystified me when I looked at it and it, but it did stick with me cause I always wondered what was in that book that I passed on. <laughs> you know right. that i just put back on a shelf one day you know um it, it's it, you know it's described as the religion that might be a joke or a joke that became a religion and it's really up right, to yeah. the observer to, to to decide so that's the taking a step back there and um you know thinking of a mythology mythological origin story called the original snub you kind of get an idea of their sense of humor <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, the, the book itself was was a collaborative project, um, whereby they kind of sent it through the mail, and people added to it or took away from it as they pleased hmm. within the network of the original Discordians over the different editions. So it's almost like a zine artifact art project, um, as much as it is, uh, you know, anything else. Yeah, and in terms of the, the timeline for Discordianism, how how long after they sort of had this idea in a bowling alley were they writing uh, Principia Discordia? Well, I think the original draft was was there uh, pretty early on. Um, mm. You know, some of the writings were anyway, but it, it was kind of an inside joke that was only a handful of people at the time, you know. So between that yeah. time and... I believe I made a note about it around here. The The first, like, mimeographed copies were around the time they were living in New Orleans. So it would have been... Okay. Would have been the early 60s. Mm. Um, like, prior to the JFK assassination. So I don't have the exact date okay. handy. Sorry about that, but... Uh, no, but no, the earliest fine. copies were, were made on a mimeograph machine in Jim Garrison's office. Because uh, okay. because they were friends with a woman that worked in her office, um, so the, that's uh, that, that that that's one of those kind of synchronicity elements to to uh, discordianism that thinks makes you think there's a little more to it perhaps than than a joke. Because <laughs> there yeah, are some I mean... things that are are very you know mind blowing in and of themselves. So yeah, so um, let's let's go to the so in the early sixties, and so not too long after they had the idea, uh, Kerry Thornley he he joins the Marines and and he he meets Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, he was friends with Lee Harvey Oswald <laughs> and wrote a book about him um, called The Idle Warrior. So yeah. that, you know that's that's pretty fascinating. And then after the assassination, he wrote another book about him. I think I think that was the timeline. Because um, he was hoping that you know he could sell a book about him after the assassination. Prior to that, the the Edo Warrior wasn't that successful, I don't think. But you know that's that's one of those synchronous or you know synchronicity type things, where the JFK assassination number one is like the granddaddy of all conspiracy theories <laughs> in a lot of ways. You know, uh, you, you don't yeah. you don't get too far in conspiracy theory circles without at least a mention of, of, you know, November, November 22nd, 1963. But so for him to have known the alleged assassin prior to those events is um, pretty mind blowing in and of itself, let alone the fact that he wrote a book about him, you know, and that all of that ended up becoming so important in the, in the grand scheme of things with Discordianism. It's a little surprising, I suppose, to think, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have had them down as people, well, that would want to join the army, but there's a there's an interesting these I, don't, I get this sense that quite a few people who are Discordians aren't particularly 
I mean, they 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 kind of mixed in a counterculture sort of environment, but they didn't seem to be your your typical hippies. Yeah, and I mean that was before the counterculture per se took yeah. off. Yeah. So I mean, it was more of a beatnik era, I guess, hmm. when uh, Thornley was in the Marines. Greg Hill, I believe, ended up getting drafted later. So that that that's um you know he didn't have any say in the matter, but I have heard uh I have heard the idea that part of Discordianism was trying to get a uh, <laughs> a religious exemption from from being drafted, but I'm not right, I okay. don't know about that <laughs> I don't know about that uh, how true it is, but I have heard it before. Yeah, um, I've heard that with other people. Like I've heard that there were other people that did that around the same time or a bit, a bit later on, I think for, um, for around the time of Vietnam, the Vietnam war, I've, I've heard of, of people setting up religions in order to avoid being drafted and, and, and weird things happening from that as well. So, yeah. I mean, people set up weird religions for all kinds of things, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, the famous contactee George Adamski, uh, set up his own religion, I, I believe in part because he could have a relig- religious exemption to drink wine <laughs> if it was <laughs> the, during the prohibition, you know, if when, if the wine wasn't legal, he could have a religious exemption to do it, you know? <laughs> so, so I mean, people do it for all kinds of reasons, but I'm sure people did that in many different religions at the time or made up their own. But, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it, it was a really different world back then. And I think the Kennedy assassination is one of those landmark moments that kind of changes the world. Uh, you know, the modern equivalent, I guess would be nine 11. I was kind of coming to okay. age then. And, and it, it, I, it seems like there's a real dividing line between what happened before that and what happened after, you know? Hmm. So I don't know. It's just an, it, it's interesting looking at history from where we are now and just, uh, you know, you tend to lump the '60s all together, but a lot happened during that ten years. So, uh, I, I don't think the military was particularly anathema to their personalities at all, either. I mean, I think I, you know, okay. they were interested in this order versus chaos thing, but um, I think it was a pretty normal thing to do. So, uh, you know, uh, they they they. Uh, and and discordianism doesn't preclude any particular lifestyle or habit either. So it attracts people from all different walks of right. life. So when uh, when Kerry Thornley was uh, in the army and met Lee Harvey Oswald, when what do you think it was about Oswald that made uh, Kerry Thornley want to write a book about him? I think he was just a really interesting character. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. Um, uh, he definitely had a bit of anti anti authority attitude to him and stuff, and and I think a lot of um, they shared some of the same frustrations with uh, their position there, and a little a little bit of the same disillusionment about about uh, what the American government does when it's overseas and stuff like that. So um, I don't know. I think he found him an interesting character. I think it was called the Idle Warriors because. They didn't have so much to do where they were stationed. Um, I also have heard ideas that where they were at was uh, part of the military's testing for uh, the, uh, the the arm of MK Ultra that was going on at the time. Okay, and certainly Carrie Thornley later in life believed that he was part of you know, or it had been a test subject for MK Ultra, hmm. but he was also you know later on considered paranoid schizophrenic or certainly presented that way. Yeah. So after they serve in the military, they, um, when did Greg and Kerry meet up again? Uh, I think it was, I think it was in New Orleans a little later. Okay. Um, like, as I said, I'm, <laughs> I tried to preface at the beginning of the interview that I'm an amateur researcher here and I have a very, and I'm very enthusiastic about Discordianism and I do post about it a lot, but, I, I do have to give all the credit to uh, my reading of, of the books that, that Go Rightly published. So um, <laughs> it, it's... <laughs> oh, that's fine. I mean, it's, you're still doing the reading, so... Yeah, they moved, they moved to New Orleans in 1961. I think that's just where they, where they ended up kind of reconnecting. Right. 
but I don't think they ever really were out of touch with each other, you know? Yeah. So, so some of the earliest Discordians were in New Orleans before they ended up moving back to uh, Southern California. So. And, um, and Oswald would eventually end up in New Orleans as well, wouldn't he? A, bit, a little bit later on, I suppose. Right, right. Okay. And, and, and then when they're, when they're in New Orleans, they start to meet some more people. Um, the, the people that get, that are sort of seen as the players in Discordianism, they meet people like uh, Barbara Reed and Roger Lubin. Yeah. And so at this point, they seem to be meeting other people and, and other people seem to be taking the idea of Discordianism and, and doing something with it in a more, in a slightly more, not organized way, I guess, if it is organized. <laughs> yeah. I mean, organized is, is uh, one way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's where, where things started to kind of come together. Uh, that's a lot of the people uh, where they started, started gathering, <clears throat> gathering people that, that felt similarly and could get down with the Discordian sort of ideas, you know. So the, those were some of the contributors to the original Principia Discordia, for mm. sure. Um, so you know, you know, the the people that ended up getting involved were spread out across the country, but uh, but those early New Orleans days kind of that's also where Carrie Thornley got mixed up with some characters that became part of the Garrison investigation when he eventually got indicted to speak on on that, you know. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, is that a guy called? There was a guy called Slim Brooks. Is that who you're talking about? Um, yeah, there were a couple of people. I mean, Lee Harvey Oswald was also in New Orleans during different periods in that time. So that's kind yeah. of that, that. That's one of the major reasons the Garrison investigation. You know, Jim Garrison was based in New Orleans, so that's what the whole movie, the Oliver Stone movie, is about. Yes, is that that end of it, which was reopening the case um, that had already been done by the Warren investigation. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, there were ideas later that Carrie Thornley was actually a, uh, uh, supposed to be a double for Oswald, or I don't know how, how into the JFK theories you've ever gotten or your listeners have ever gotten, but uh, there's always ideas about multiple Oswalds that were involved Hmm. or people that were doubles of Oswald to place him somewhere that he actually wasn't. So, you know, there were ideas that Thornley was being set up that way or being set up as an alternate Patsy if the Oswald thing didn't work out. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, I mean, yeah, they ended up kind of uh, having, having a bit of a scene there and it it also kind of tied into paranoia of the time Hmm. with some of the other, um, you know, uh, uh, like far right groups back then believed in in the Illuminati or power structures being responsible for uh, communism and all kinds of other social evils. You know, so that's uh, that's kind of where they drew a lot of inspiration for their conspiracy theory stuff was to poke fun at that and kind of misguide people that were already in that kind of paranoid Cold War mindset. You know. Yeah. I mean, if it's called it's called Discordianism, isn't it? So you know, it's, it's, it's what it's it's sort of what it's there for to do. Yeah, 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it does seem to, whether you want it or not. You know, and it's uh, uh, we're twenty three minutes into the interview, so it's it probably an appropriate time to mention that, that you know you have the twenty three enigma tied into everything. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, earlier, when I turned on the computer just uh, get ready for this interview. I had a, an update that it forced me to do. Right. And an hour later, I'm still looking at the screen and it's still trying to update. Hmm. And then it had me restart the computer and then I had to leave the house for a minute and it's still <laughs> updating. And I look at it with a spinning wheel and the screen's frozen with 23% through the update. <laughs> right. Okay. And I say, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. But yeah, I mean, these things do work their way into your, into your day to day life. And you start to notice it when you, uh, when you're reading, when you're reading about Discordianism, or you, you you think about it too hard, you start to notice these patterns. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's an idea that 
is designed to be not taken too seriously. But I suppose the more you invest in something, it, it gets harder to not invest yourself in it. And, you know, and then to, if you do that, then you start to, you know, it starts to become more organized. And I mean, I, I can imagine it's hard to, it, it's, it'd be hard for this idea not to sort of run away with itself and become something that, that they maybe didn't intend it to, or, it, or, or, or maybe it did. I don't know. I, it's, it's hard to tell, isn't it? I, that's what I find when I read about it. It's, um, because with most with most movements or ideas, there's a sort of a there's quite a organized structure and a and a point where it begins and a point where you know it, it, there were some definite ideas about it. But with this, it seems like it's it's something that that anybody can do and do in their own way, as long as they sort of oh yeah follow some basic idea basic ideas about a group not following rules essentially. <laughs> well, right. Yeah, I mean, and Greg Hill had had his own quote, you know, as as Malaclips the younger saying um discordians need to stick apart yes. you know rather than stick together i mean it, it's it's just kind of a frame of mind where you start to everything start you, you start to view everything in a way where you're turning it on its head you mm. know <laughs> yeah you kind of make a bit of a joke about a lot of things but even jokes or or uh very silly statements have their own kind of profundity you know yes uh, and and that's almost what what the Discordia is. As if you if you flip through it, you see little notes and bits that people snuck in there, little running jokes that go page to page. But they they start to become kind of profound after a while. Mm. Some of them are Zen koans, or some of them are just little jokes. Um, you know, one of my favorites is uh, "When in doubt, fuck it. When not in <laughs> when not in doubt, get in doubt." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean it's just little things like that there's a running joke about mr momomoto the famous japanese who could swallow his own nose right this goes on and on keeps appearing in, throughout the book um which is a, a reference to a ripley's believe it or not cartoon um there's the fenords there's plenty of those right uh i mean the the humor in it is is uh it's pretty evident just by even just flipping through. I would yeah. say you don't even really need to read the book in order, but <laughs> but I, but I, it's um it's also taken on a culture and a life of its own, like you said, and it's something you can immediately relate to people about. You know, um, you don't need to know somebody that well. It, it's almost it's almost as though you're part of a uh, secret society. Because your average person may not have ever heard of the Principia Discordia or Eris or any of this stuff. But if you see a sign that somebody does and you walk up to them and say, all hail Discordia or something like that, then you may have just made a friend, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's happened to me before. I mean, on, on Twitter, um, some of my most popular posts are, are the Discordian related ones. I tend to get a ton of action on those. So I started doing it more. Yeah, just because I find it fascinating, but you know, the internet almost seems like, uh, in a way, it was built for Discordians. It <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> certainly seems the way the how chaotic the world is now, and yes. with all the disinformation out there, it almost seems like uh, like the unintended consequence of uh, a couple hundred Operation Mindfucks. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, or or, or yeah, or, or trying to do that for a. But not in the right spirit, perhaps. Well, right, yeah, and I mean, there's always been, um, there, there's always been some element of of phony reporting. Uh, it's always gone on, you know, and there's always been bad news sources or unsourced news. <laughs> right. There's always been liars. There's always been people that'll do anything, a hoax or or anything like that, but. Yeah, nowadays it's just nuts because you don't know who to believe a lot of the time, you know. Yeah. And um, as as in a region, you can take that in stride, you know. Mm. <laughs> it's like Hunter S. Thompson said, uh, "When the going gets weird, the weird turn pro." Right. Right. So, um, you just before then you mentioned that that Greg Hill, his he had a Discordian name, uh, Malaclips the Younger, and 
carry thorn. Oh yeah, you're supposed to do that when you become a Discordian. You're supposed to adopt your own Discordian name and okay. festoon yourself with titles. All oh, right. Okay. So yeah, so most of the contributors to the the um, Principia Discordia, or I, I'm pretty sure all of them had their own Discordian names. Right. Yeah. And and most of them would have several. So <laughs> Greg Hill was the magnum opiate of Malaclips the Younger. Um, nice. And, you know, he, he uses different names throughout, depending what it is that he's trying to do. Okay. And Carrie Thornley was um, uh, Lord uh, Omar Khayyam Ravenhurst. Um, <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> and, then, and then they would, you know, they would add, add or remove different titles, you know. Uh, High Reverence, Malaclips the Younger, KSC, Omnibenevolent Polyfather of the Virginity and Gold, and High Priest of the Paratheo Anameta Mystichood of Eris Esoteric, P-O-E-E, which is pronounced Pui, I think. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, know, Robert Anton Wilson had several different names that he would use. Mm. Um, uh, Mordecai the Fowl was one of them. Uh, and you know, he went on to write the Illuminatus trilogy with Bob Shea, which is a very long book that doesn't feel as long as you think it's going to feel. Right, <laughs> it's pretty yeah. easy to read because, um, it's one of a few trilogies that I know of that have five books. Okay. Um, because five is a, uh, is, is a holy number in discordianism Mm -hmm. along with 23 um but yeah i mean all right now see now i'm rambling tends to happen when i talk about this stuff no no no, (laughs) i was just thinking have you ever watched an animated show called regular show regular show no no i haven't because that so in that it's about two guys who work in a park and one of them's a raccoon and one of them's a blue jay oh right the blue jay is called mordecai he's so he's a bird and uh so just saying mordecai the fowl made me think of him and in that in that series those two they they don't they they, pretty much every episode is them being given rules given given things to do and they don't do them so i don't know i just made me think of that um i'm not sure if it's meant to be like that but it's it's interesting that 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 name that name popped up and and it has that sort of that theme in it so um i suppose with the name thing do you think that's just poking poking fun at the the sort of seriousness that some people can some um esoteric groups can take with with what they're about uh, it, it, it seems that way a little bit oh i, I think it absolutely um, is and i think it's also the key you know it, it's it's kind of like if if you have a cipher there's always a key hmm. and the absurdity of some of the names or titles involved with the names is is a definite key to the cipher of of um, how serious they're being, you know. <laughs> so you might take something at face value and then read a name like Fang the Unwashed or something like <laughs> yeah. that and say, well, well, wait a minute, what is this now? You know, <laughs> read it more closely. And if you find it funny, yes, then you know you're probably a Discordian, <laughs> cool. and. Uh, you know, if you don't find it funny, then you should read it again. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh. It, so I mean, like I said, there's inherent humor with all of it, and I think, yeah, it's a bit to poke fun uh, at at people who take themselves too seriously. Um, and I think that's what I was getting at, and why Discordianism Discordianism speaks to me in particular is because. I have such an interest in a lot of the paranormal, the weird, the ufological. And when you read into that stuff too much, you start to wonder, you know, it, it, you read and read about enough hoaxes or fakes and you start to wonder, well, is it all hoaxed? Is it all fake? And you get that kind of paranoia setting in. Yeah. But if you have sort of the attitude of, of, uh, of having a sense of humor about it, like, you know, of course we'll never know. And that's, that's probably the best, you know, <laughs> that's yeah. the best outcome. Yeah. You... Being mystified by it is just, uh, that's half the fun, I think, you know? Yeah, definitely. I, I find that it seems now there's, there's more, there are more people who are sort of, they're less, they feel less inclined to 
align themselves to one particular view on a, on a phenomenon. So, so right. you know whether whether something like Bigfoot is is a is a living creature or or something else. And it seems like there are still definitely people that kind of sit in one camp or another. But there's also a sort of a like a middle ground is more people that seem to be sitting sort of in the middle ground and saying, well, maybe it's, maybe it's both, or maybe it's a combination of the two. And as a 14, I think that's the best way to be because in, I think for Charles Fort's general idea that nothing is ever set at one thing. It's always in a position of being between two other things, like a, a, a likely thing and an unlikely thing. And it's always, it's always consistently between two other positions, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, Ford had a very roundabout and overly pedantic way of making that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the first five chapters of um, the Book of the Damned is just kind of going around in circles, you know. Yeah, um, I mean, I read that when I read the Book of the Damned, I I did start to think he's. It's like it was almost like he was having a conversation with someone, and they couldn't they couldn't get in to sort of stop him talking. <laughs> I mean, he right. was talking about really yeah, kind of stuff, but. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, he gets into a bit of a feedback loop yeah. there, but it, it's almost like he really wanted to hammer that point home. Yeah, but I, I think you know, Fort arguably could have been a Discordian if if time had been uh, a little bit different. And you know, Fort is quoted at one point in the Discordia, which I I always found interesting. Um, it, it's a bit about the debate whether praying to Eris is is appropriate. And uh, they don't, you know, it says that that Discordianism doesn't really take a stance one way or the other. Uh, you, you can pray if you want to, but it's discouraged because Charles Fort records this one time where a village that had had a drought prayed and prayed for rain. And when the rain finally came, it washed the whole village away, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, um, yeah, no, I think Fort's right in that same kind of wheelhouse. And Fort wasn't serious a lot of the time himself. He would propose things that that he didn't believe, you know. And when they wanted to start the Fourteen Society, he refused to join. Hmm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yes. It's uh, it's almost like the Groucho Marx attitude of I'd never join any club that would have me as a member. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean, when you think about it, it's I've. I noticed um, some other um, uh, tweets that you've had about uh, themes like this is there have been uh, pranks that people have done. Um, there was a prank that, that David Bowie was involved with about a, a an artist that didn't exist. And they, I think they did, they set up like a, they, they, um, they suggested this name around the art scene in New York. Oh, and... um, was that, oh, that wasn't Nat Tate, was it? Yes. Yes. That's it. Yeah. Yep. So that seems like a Discordian idea, kind of. Yeah, and I think that would be a good candidacy for um, a Discordian saint. You know, the Discordians have people throughout history that they would refer to as a saint, hmm. like uh, Emperor Norton the First. Right. And you know, Norton's a fantastic character. He's a guy that just lost everything, and was basically a madman hmm. wandering around San Diego. <laughs> and they just showed up at the newspaper office on a very slow news day and proclaimed himself emperor of America. So they ran with it. They ran the story and this guy became a local legend, you know? Right. Um, printed his own currency, which was honored. He could eat <laughs> anywhere for free. He got the ear of Abraham Lincoln at one point through letters and uh, even Queen Victoria, you know? <laughs> I mean, here's a madman that just... Uh, uh, basically by by doing things the absolute wrong way the mm -hmm. way you wouldn't think people would do anything <laughs> it managed to become extremely successful and never actually had to work you know mm -hmm. <laughs> so he's considered like a saint you know is not directly related to you know he was around way too early to have been a part of discordianism but he's the kind of guy that that people they, they would use as an avatar for uh, for, for or or uh, a good example, an exemplar, I guess, uh, of of what it means to be a Discordianism, you know? Yeah, yeah. He represents the idea through his actions really well. 
Yeah. The Mal the Younger would say, everybody understands Mickey Mouse. Few understand Herman Hess. Hardly anybody understands Einstein. And nobody understands Emperor Norton. <laughs> That's a great quote. So, yeah. So, so going back to, to those guys, um, the next thing I, that seems to happen in the in the timeline of the idea is is uh, the involvement of, of Robert Anton Wilson. Is that right? Yeah. Like in the late yep. 60s. Yeah, and um, one interesting thing that I kind of have noticed, just you know, your side of the pond versus mine. Uh, anyone listening can probably tell I'm not English. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> yep, you've been had, Rick. Oh uh, man, uh, I'm just so silly. <laughs> yeah, yep. Uh, but uh, you know, I think I, I, I don't, I'm not exactly sure, but it seems like the Wilson Wilson is the gateway for a lot of people in England to get to discordianism. Hmm. You know, I think a lot of people discovered discordianism through him and his books and writings. Um, and I'm sure that's true a lot here too, but uh, it certainly I ended up getting into Wilson because of discordianism. You know, I got it the other way. So, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he was an editor at Playboy magazine at the time that uh, the first edition started coming out and he's, he's been so associated with and as, as the champion of discordianism that a lot of people at the time thought he wrote the Principia Discordia or he was totally behind it, you know? Um, but he, he came along a little bit later in the timeline, as you said, uh, in the late sixties while working at Playboy and, um, during the time of operation mindfuck, especially. So yeah, he co-wrote the Illuminatus trilogy, which is a fictional, odyssey of uh part detective noir uh part conspiratorial mystery part fantasy story sci-fi it's got a little bit of everything but it's uh Hmm. it's got so much imagery and direct language from the principia discordia that i i don't know how you'd understand it at all not being a discordian but i know plenty of people who have read it that thought it was a wild ride and one of the best things they ever read that know little to nothing about discordianism as well. So <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's long, but definitely worth it. Okay. And when he was writing that, was that, was he writing that with the intensive of it being, um, a, a work of discordian fiction or is it just, oh, is it just that he was really interested? Right. Yeah, no. And it included a lot of real life stuff too. I mean, characters in the book in some cases were, the discordian names of real life people and um okay you know part of what operation mindfuck was was messing with the the general well the messing with the garrison investigation into the assassination of john f kennedy but also the american public by letter letter writing campaigns directed at people or or um magazines and newspapers to put the idea that people in the discordian society were actually part of the illuminati or operatives of the illuminati and messing with people and sending absurd letters with that kind of stuff and some of these appeared in like the pages of playboy or in teen set magazine in the late 60s mm-hmm. and those letters are used verbatim in the illuminatus trilogy so it's it's almost like this meta fiction thing where this article really did appear in a real magazine in real life in a fictional story you know, <laughs> right. um, so it's both, it's both fact and fiction. And, mm. um, and there's a lot of historical stuff, a lot of stuff that just comes out of conspiracy literature. That's in the Illuminatus trilogy that you kind of forget you're reading fiction after a while. And then you start to second guess it. <laughs> and even now <laughs> I think of something, especially since what I, the stuff I read is weird anyway, you know, I'm already reading about UFOs and weird history and, 14 stuff. So I'll think of something and, and I have to think real hard. Did I read that in the Illuminatus trilogy? Cause if so, it might not be reliable, <laughs> you know, right. like the uh, story about how the great seal of the United States was given to Thomas Jefferson by a man in black in the gardens of Monticello. I'm pretty sure I got that directly from Robert Anton Wilson. And I'm pretty sure <laughs> that was a put on. So, <laughs> So, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing where I'm about to tweet something or about to say something conversationally. And I say, oh, wait a minute, you know, 
I almost pulled the joke on myself here. <laughs> hmm. Right. <laughs> so the book, that book, and and the letters that you talk about, um, I I remember reading a, a letter that was written. I think Greg Hill wrote to Timothy Leary. Um, that was that was a bit like that. Is this what? Um, is this culture jamming essentially? Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, an early example of culture jamming. Um, mm. I would also consider it to be similar to uh, the hacker group Anonymous, the way that they do their yes. uh, the denial of server uh, attacks. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. When when Anonymous does an operation to basically overload a website and shut it down. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, Operation Mindfuck would have specific targets. So they would send letters to all members in the network of Discordians that they knew of mm-hmm. and uh, say, like, we're, this is the target. This is why we're doing it. You know, some cases it was just to blow his mind, you know, <laughs> or to promote this idea or confuse these people. So there was like an active, you know, in that sense, it reminds me of the way Anonymous will will pick a target and a specific a specific end that they hope to achieve by mm. by going after them, you know. But yeah, culture yeah. jamming for sure. I don't not sure when that phrase originally appeared, but it's it's in the same vein for sure. Yeah. So let's get on to Operation Mindfuck. Just just take us into how what that was and 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 when it began and and who was involved. Well, yeah, it began with the garrison investigation when Karen Thornley was in, Carrie Thornley was uh, indicted, and mm-hmm. like I said, this was this was my gateway into Discordianism. Finding, I think it was on disinformation.com or something like that, one of the old websites I used to read, and you just sit there and say, like, what? This whole idea of the Illuminati is is you know something I used to take seriously, and now I'm not so sure, you know. When I was younger and and maybe a little bit more naive, I think I would have taken some of it more seriously. But uh, yeah, me too. It, it was somebody in in Garrison's employ, basically. Alan Chapman was was uh, suggested that the Bavarian Illuminati was behind the assassination, or that they had something to do with it. Which you know that that was a right wing conspiracy idea at the time, and. Uh, so that was the kind of thing you'd hear from somebody like you've seen the movie Do- uh, Doctor Strangelove. Yes. Um, the general Jack D. Ripper, Ripper talking about the commies <laughs> coming to steal his precious bodily fluids. Yeah. Like that, that's the kind of, you know, right winger <laughs> that would have been like the Illuminati, you know? Um, so uh, in the, it was in response to that specifically that Thor- Thornley came up with the idea of Operation Mindfuck. And um, so he started saying he was an Illuminati agent. Um, and and Robert Anton Wilson got involved or, by 1968. And they would do, uh, they would be printing letters in the Playboy Forum, in Teen Set Magazine, directing letters towards politicians or reporters. Um, a lot of people that were already Discordians were like in publishing anyway. So it was kind of easier to get it in there. Yeah. Um, and then they would, they would just spread conspiracy theories this way. I think Robert Anton Wilson took a particular glee in just uh, finding someone who was already a bit paranoid and prodding them along and <laughs> confusing right. them more, you know, and especially if they're not well-intentioned paranoid acts. You know, if there's some kind of malice or, or hatred behind it, you know, but they, they become increasingly um, absurd. Uh, you know, the the actual Illuminati was founded by uh, Adam Weishaupt in in uh, 1776 or so, and it was very short lived. And of course, Wilson knew that, but he, he would build off of that, you know, in, in, um, in Wilson's cosmology of that kind of paranoid conspiracy. Uh, Weishaupt actually moves to the United States of America and assumes the identity of George Washington. So the man <laughs> looking at us on the $1 bill, this is the way it is in the Illuminatus trilogy. The face you see on the $1 bill in America is actually Adam Weishaupt, you know? Okay. <laughs> so that's ex- that's how absurd it gets, but it just muddies the waters, you know? There's a definite, definite muddying of the waters in the, in the conspiracy world. Yeah. 
So does it have an? Does it have a? What sort of effect does it have? Is there? Is it? Does anything? Does it provoke anything to happening? The, is is there an, an, an intent behind Operation Mindful other than just kind of confusing everybody? No, I mean, I think confusing everybody was about the the. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, and it's also ex an experiment. You know, they're almost yeah. like mad scientists in in um, what used to be called social engineering. You know, okay. it's uh, a and and you know just gleeful pranksters. You know, which you know the the more I read about about weird literature too, I think that there's a there's an invisible cosmic prankster behind most of the abnormal phenomena out there. You know, and. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I think if you manifest that in real life, yeah, this just goes to show that 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 stuff can manifest itself in reality. You know, mm. I think that a lot of the paranoiac kind of um, literature that was around and 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 the idea conspiracy theories that have developed since the '60s and '70s, you know. A lot of them are offshoots of of stuff that was proposed during Operation Mindfuck, which mm. was just a joke, you know. <laughs> just, I think in a way to make people look foolish, but um, also just to give them something to talk about, you know. It's the uh, it's the confusion element that that a lot of these guys thrive on. So, hail Eris. Yes. Yeah. Um. So. So. How long did Operation Mindfuck run for? Was it just something that I mean? I guess that's a silly question in a way because it's not. It only has a certain amount of organization, I suppose. It's just a thing that happens. But did it did it run for a while? Yeah, I mean, at least for a couple of years. And um, they, you know, they into into the early seventies. They they would have different different targets. Like I said, targets would move from time to time. Mm -hmm. um, they would continue with different pranks over time, and. You know, like I said, Discordians sticking apart. That eventually came to a point of less central organization on the part of Greg Hill. You know, at one point everybody had to write to him to become a pope. I think okay. um, but there has been no no central authority figure in in Discordianism for like decades at this point. You know, so. <laughs> I almost felt really nervous about coming on the show to talk specifically about Discordianism because I said, well, I'm, I consider myself a Discordian and I know a bunch of stuff, but I wouldn't consider myself an authority. And then I thought, well, there are no real authorities in, right. in Discordianism. <laughs> and I, th I think even Go Rightly would say that, you know. But but yeah, I mean, I think the lasting effects of uh, of of Operation Mindfuck were, were general paranoia and insane conspiracy theories. And if you look at some of the ones that are out there nowadays, I don't know if you've seen any of the uh, QAnon stuff or yeah. um, Flat Earthers or another one. <laughs> There's a whole lot going on that's so profoundly absurd and I never thought I'd see that... Uh, that you know, you wonder sometimes if if Operation Mindfuck was a little too inf effective with some unintended consequences of people actually heartily believing the stuff and taking it seriously. You know, yeah. I think that's the major difference is taking it seriously. Yeah, I would I would agree. I mean, it seems like um, uh, the flat Earth movement seems to be getting a lot of attention at the moment. Yeah, I think that's a bad idea. I think giving it any amount of attention is. Uh, is a terrible idea. <laughs> and there yeah. actually was, you know, the flat earth party was, was an idea in discordianism as well. You know, like the discordians had their own flat earth party. Hmm. Um, the, you know, Greg Hill was a member and their motto was, there's nothing to sphere, but sphere itself, but watch your step. <laughs> and the flat earth party in your heart, you know, it's flat. I mean, I think it's funny as a joke if you're pretty sure that nobody is going to actually believe that, right? But mm. uh, it's almost terrifying that people actually do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it seems a little bit like um, sometimes stories about the people believing in the flat earth is, is promoted to maybe discredit 
conspiracy theory in general or it it's, an well easy, it's an easy target isn't it if you if you know if you if you pitch because I, I i think that might be it because i never really i never really had down um flat earth movement as being conspiratorial it was just it was more that they believed that the earth was flat i, I never got the sense that it was being hidden from us <laughs> so oh right yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, in today's day and age, if you were to believe that the world is flat, you'd have to believe there's a massive conspiracy to hide that fact. Right. Okay. You know. Yeah. Which the 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 uh, the most logical and plausible conspiracies are the ones that contain the least people. Mm. So if you have a worldwide conspiracy against just those few that know the Earth is flat, <laughs> that's a very lopsided argument you're making. You yeah. know? <laughs> so. And I mean, the flat earthers have a long and storied history as well. I've read a whole book on people that have had that belief down through the ages. And it's just, it's a, it's a fascinating psychology for sure. But it's, um, I don't know. It's, I think the world has really turned upside down in a lot of ways. I mean, if you had said something about fake news to me five or six years ago, I would have been all in, you know. I would have said, yeah, man, the mainstream media, they hide all this stuff. They lie about stuff. They don't talk about stuff in depth enough for people to understand yeah. it. You know, and nowadays it's a, you say fake news and I say, oh, okay, all right. Yeah. Let's back down for a minute. Let's just look into it more. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's almost like conspiracy theory due to a few prominent members of, of the world politics are, are, uh, are uh, in vogue now. And <laughs> it's it's not something that's actually good, you know. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I know what you mean. So, it seems like you know. fake news is fake news. The term fake news is, I mean, is being used to to discredit any news that you don't want to be seen as being taken seriously. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I try not to get too political because you can really get in trouble. But yeah, I mean. I mean, stupid is stupid, and I call it like I see it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and and I think there are conspiracies. You know, um, obviously, the, the from the simplest little business conspiring to do better business by doing better than their competitors. You know, there's little conspiracies just out there because it serves everybody's own purposes, mm. and other conspiracies tripping up the conspiracies that already exist. You know. Um, uh, Alan Moore had a pretty good quote about it. That's not readily at mind for me, but, um, the, the whole conspiracy thing is just, uh, you know, you know, I used to be kind of into it. Now it's like, if you're into conspiracies at all, you're, you're falling into alt-right territory. That's, <laughs> it's a pretty precipitous drop to QAnon is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's not, uh, it's not not very good and there are you know there are those few of us that know the real truth behind some of these things um you know the the real truth of who's behind the curtain and who's who's managing it all but uh i don't know do you want to know yeah yeah exactly the real truth who's behind the illuminati and what the real illuminati is i don't know do do you know i might know well yeah Um, go ahead so Good evening, people of Cell 3, in the constellation of the Sacred Apple. My name is Rexia Dottinio, and I'm speaking to you from the High Council of Ishtar. Ishtar. We are here to save you from the insidious evils of constellationism, and as such, we shall be providing courses in how to support the Fenords, the Fenords, the Fenords, and the Fenords. This is a test transmission and is one in a series of three. The other two, well, we'll just have to wait and see, won't we? And remember, folks, it is no wind that blows no minds. This is Rexiard Otinio signing off for the Council of Ishtar. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I just attempted a small Discordian prank, and I don't think it worked. Oh, sorry. No, no, that's... um... (laughs)
Did you hear anything? No, no, that's great. No, that's great. I, I no. <laughs> yeah, I get, I get you now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so you did hear that, right? Yes. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I guess, I guess I messed it up. I should have just let it play. Um, no, it's, it's, it's cool. Really? Don't, don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> I felt a little bit bad about dropping that on you, but I wasn't expecting um, that. I have to admit, but I, I you know, being a discordian, I, I had to at least give it a try. No, it's good. No, no, this is great. This is what, if this is what it's about, then, you know, right. <laughs> okay. I get it. Yeah. Because if I were to do a, an interview about discordianism and what it is, as a discordian, it, I'd probably just not even show up, you know. <laughs> so, right. so I'm trying to toe the toe the line and be somewhere in the middle, you know. So it's fine. Yeah. So, um, in terms of discordianism now, are there are there people um, who are taking it forward and still still doing things like culture jamming and and, and sending you know sending letters and and um, pranking people and is there is it is there still a lot of people that are engaged in that is there or is it sort of not so apparent at the moment well there's me um okay of course yeah (laughs) but i mean all you have to do really uh if to to find that out and what i was saying before about the internet being a great medium for it is um is is uh do like hashtag hail eris on twitter and see what happens you right. know, search search any of the terms like Hilaris or uh, Discordia, Discordianism, twenty three Skidoo. You know, like any any of these Discordian phrases. If you do it as a hashtag, um, you, you'll find that there's plenty of them out there. Plenty of people that just really love Discordianism, and maybe in their day to day lives, they think about it from time to time and tweet something out or see something that reminds them of it, like the number 23 or a golden apple somewhere, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, there are plenty of people out there that would identify as discordians and, and, uh, I don't know that there's a centralized, you know, uh, network. I'm sure there are small groups that meet up here and there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's alive and well, I'm sure. Oh, excellent. Well, well, Matt, this has been a fascinating talk. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. I was very excited to come on, and then I was very nervous, and uh, I went back to being excited about it, and then had to do some research and uh, <laughs> got excited about it again and then nervous again. So thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. <laughs> it's um, been a wild ride. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if people want to get hold of you, what's, how, how do they best do that? Um, well, my Twitter handle is aficionado prodigiosus, which I chose just for its memorability and ease of spelling. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> if you look up a, you know, at a prodigiosus, you'll, you'll find it there. Cause it's, uh, I think once you get more than five letters in, that's the only thing that pops up. So, right, um, yes. you can follow me on Twitter. Twitter is probably my main place right now i'm working on a blog that's not quite up yet but it will be the same name um probably by the time this episode's released it'll be up with a few articles on it um brilliant and that'll be apstrange.com okay so, i already got the domain the rest is just gravy <laughs> excellent <laughs> cool well I'll, I'll make sure to put those details in the show notes all right thank you rick appreciate it i, I, w- I will that's not a prank yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Matt. Okay. Well, thank you for having me. Take care now. Yeah. You're very welcome. All right. Bye. Bye. Wow. That was quite a conversation. Thanks again to Matt. That was his first time as a podcast guest. And considering the subject, I think he did a really great job of covering the important details. I love the idea that David Bowie could be a patron saint of discordianism. And it definitely seems like in practice, it is mostly about creating a little harmless chaos and poking fun at taking things too seriously. To quote from the Principia Discordia, the enlightened take things lightly. Also, I love the phrase Matt used, when in doubt, fuck it, which seems great advice for today's uncertain times. Matt now has his blog up and running, and it started with a glorious celebration of the Loch Ness Monster. He could also be a Discordian saint, I think. Well, it's time to wrap this up. If you'd like to get in touch, please email someothersphere at gmail.com. 
It'd be great to hear from you. You can also find the podcast on Twitter at spherical underscore pod. And the podcast is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify and Podbean. Thank you very much for listening and hail Eris. Hail Eris.